Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2,454. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today, I'm in Berkeley, California, with a very special guest by the name of Russ Mitchell. Russ, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? Yeah, I'm ready, and I like that uh, old-fashioned uh, uh, transmission. Yeah, it's a lot more fun. Uh, you know, I, I uh, raised both my kids and taught them when they learned to drive, to drive in a stick shift car, and I think in high school, they were the only kids in their whole school that knew how to do that, so, uh-huh. you know, I figure it's a good theft deterrent, because uh, <laughs> when you get in your car, uh-oh, can't drive this one, I'll go to the next one, so. Right. Uh, but it's a little bit more fun, a little bit more engaging. You know, I always ask my guests this question, Russ, before I introduce you and we dive into your world. What's one little thing that maybe people don't know about you? Uh, well, you you kind of gave it away, but that's okay. Uh, because I work at the LA Times and I've been here for about 10 years, people just assume that I work at uh, or I live in uh, Los Angeles. Right. But uh, actually, I've been in uh, Berkeley for about uh, 20 years in the Bay Area for about 30. Oh, wow. Uh, most, most, of, most of my sources don't know that. Of course, everybody <laughs> that uh, that's a friend or family does, but uh, not the sources I deal with. Yeah. Well, now the whole world knows, so sorry. Right. <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, my son and his wife lived up in San Francisco for about five years. Uh, yeah. After college, they got jobs at a couple little tech companies up there, Google and Facebook. I think you may have heard of them. So I've heard of those. Yeah, I think they've been around for a little bit. And uh, yeah, they lived there for a while, but now they've moved up here close to us, which is wonderful for us to have our kids cool. nearby. So that is very good, uh, dealing with the rain a little bit, but that's okay. It makes the trees grow tall and <laughs> and get real green. Let me introduce you. Russ Mitchell is a staff writer at the Los Angeles Times. As he said, he covers the epic transition to electric vehicles and energy storage for the Los Angeles Times, blending technology policy, and consumerism with a particular focus on the state of California. He's worked on staff at publications including Business Week, Wired, and Condé Nast Portfolio. Russ is a graduate of the University of Illinois. He also studied at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology as a Vannevar Bush Fellow. We'll be back in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsors, so give them a little love. Buckle up, and we'll be right back. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. Their talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and firsthand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. Are you ready to take charge of your financial future? Then let me introduce you to Capitalize Your Finances. It's an online course designed to empower you with the knowledge and tools for mastering your money. This course will help you lay out the ins and outs of budgeting, the importance of emergency funds, investing strategies, and how to plan for a secure 
retirement. All this presented by financial planner Chris Paniotu. Chris has developed this course to help you effectively navigate your world of finance with confidence. Stop stressing about money and start taking control. Enroll in Capitalize Your Finance online course today and pave your way to financial success. To learn more, go to CapitalizePodcast.com slash courses, or better yet, go to the Cars yeah! website show notes page for today's show and click on the link under Capitalize Your Finances. You'll be glad you did. Do it today. So, Russ, I want to go back in time a little bit before we talk about what you're doing today, uh, how you got into the business of writing and some of your passion for cars, because you tend to have a focus on that. How did this all begin? Can you take us back in time a little bit? Well, the writing and the cars are two different things, although the uh, they happen around the, the same time. Um, when I was in uh, eighth grade, uh, I had a little publication that uh, I'm old enough to have uh, run it off on a mimeograph. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was kind of a boring little newspaper about school news. But one day there was a fight in the lunchroom between uh, Kirk Tuttle and uh, Dan Maher. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, <laughs> and I did a special edition. I had them uh, uh, sliding across the lunch table, smashing Susie Q's in each other's face. Claudette Guzan's purse fell off. I regret doing this, but I was only an eighth grader. I wrote about how uh, out of her purse uh, rolled a uh, brassiere and out of the brassiere rolled two rolled up Kleenex and oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I, oh, I talked to her, I talked her later. She claims uh, just a few years ago she uh, claims not to remember that. So well, of course not. Uh, either not it wasn't a big deal experience or experience <laughs> like that. Oh my and, god! Uh, and 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 the uh, the principal uh, confiscated the papers. I was I raised the price with selling them on the play- playground, <laughs> and uh, he confiscated the papers. And I argued with him about the First Amendment, and uh, he sent me home. Uh, So I returned with my parents. So that was my early journalism experience. And I grew up, you know, I'm uh, I'm 69 years old and grew up uh, in the in the 60s and uh, lots of interest in cars. I grew up outside of Chicago and uh, all my friends had uh, not necessarily expensive cars, but interesting cars. We our little group was mostly interested in uh, little British cars like MGs and Triumphs, et cetera. But uh, we also had the gearheads that had their Pontiac GTOs and was often working those in the garage. So I, I had a taste for uh, cars from the uh, early days. And uh, eventually at Business Week, I covered uh, the, the auto industry in uh, Detroit for several years. So uh, that's where I got my professional jobs. Well, as you know, and we're of the same generation, uh, my kids call me the boomer guy. So uh-huh. uh, <laughs> I get blamed for that. Hey, Dad, you're acting a lot like a boomer. I go, well, I am. So I'm just acting my age. I think that's, that's right. appropriate. But uh, well, let's get into what you're reporting on and doing there at the LA Times today in the car world. Because as part of an introduction here, we talked about EVs and how that is affecting everything. I mean, this entire EV phenomenon has come in so fast and so furious. So talk a bit about what you write about these days, your focus on the automotive world, and uh, we'll see where we go from here. Sure. Recently, I was at the business section and covered uh, EVs from a business standpoint and also uh, covered uh, autonomous uh, driving, but recently moved to the climate section. And I'm uh, I'm, I'm doing a little bit more about uh, policy and policy around electric vehicles, looking at uh, forecasts and uh, whether they're going to make it or not. But in addition, I do some fun uh, consumer reporting too and uh, drive EVs around and uh, and do reviews on those. 
Um, right now, I'm working on a story about uh, public charging and how awful it is and whether it's uh, getting in the way of EV adoption and uh, what can be done about it. And I'm also working on a story about uh, currently about uh, gas taxes and how gas taxes are going to uh, uh, be reduced as EVs uh, uh, grow. And if they grow to the extent that uh, California wants them to, uh, there's going to be some serious uh, budget problems. Uh, uh, and uh, the legislature is going to have to decide whether to raise taxes or, or fix the roads, which already are pretty terrible in California. So there's lots lots of policy angles around, uh, around the EV space that uh, I'll be doing over the next year or so. Oh, my. Well, you're touching on some very hot topics here. When you think about, let's start with, well, where do we start with this? Because there's so many ways we can go with this one. You know, one is taxes. And I left California 30 years ago. We left our business because it just wasn't business friendly. And that was 30 years ago because of the cost of running things. And if you look at, I think for a long time, you guys there in California had the highest gas prices in the country. Now, we up here in Washington State are very close second, or maybe we're a little ahead of you, I don't know, due to the high taxes put on on gasoline here. It's an Mm -hmm. interesting thing you said, though, as far as how it will affect budgets, because I know California is running a pretty heavy-duty deficit right now uh, overall. And without getting into all the politics of it, I'm more interested in your perception since you're you're in this of EVs and that effect, because I've never thought of it that way, that EVs are going to affect a reduction in gas usage, therefore taxes. I, I kind of a, a, akin to, you know, they started heavily taxing cigarettes in hopes that that would drive people from smoking. And then all of a sudden they went, oh, we're not collecting taxes on this anymore. Uh-oh. Right. That didn't. So is this a combination of just politicians not thinking far enough ahead or... Uh, where do, where do we take this one topic? And then we'll get into EVs more. Sure. Yeah, the answer to that is yes. They haven't been thinking far enough ahead. Of course, it's uncertain how this is all going to shape out. The state intends, well, it's uh, requiring automakers to sell only uh, electric vehicles by 2035, but they're not requiring consumers to buy them. So we'll have to see uh, what the uptake is on the consumer end and whether the state uh, has to change its uh, its mandate on the automakers. But that's that's causing a lot of a uh, lot of headaches. I want to I want to put on a side note that I'm very much in favor of uh, electric vehicles. I I have one. I like them. Um, I think uh, they're better for the environment. But uh, they're the, the switchover is uh, comes with uh, lots of problems that have to be contended with, and one of those is. Uh, how to pay for our already lousy roads in in California? Yeah, uh, there's they're going to be billions of dollars short if uh, EVs take off the way the state wants them to. And uh, there's a recent report from the Legislative Analyst Office that says basically you're either going to have to raise taxes somewhere else or find the funds somewhere else or you're going to have to cut back on maintenance and construction. And none none of those are politically palatable. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. You know, EVs are interesting to me. And my listeners know this. I I don't have an EV, but then I don't really drive much anymore. I don't have to commute anymore. I work from home. My wife's retired. So we really don't drive our cars that much. And when we do go on trips, we fly there because we have family Mm -hmm. in different parts of the country. So road trips don't really affect us. But... I was in California for the car week and I rented my first, had my first experience in a Tesla. I enjoyed it very much. I thought it was really interesting. But that one factor you just touched on, the anxiety that I've got to find a place to charge this thing. Right. Where am I going to do it? How long is it going to take? And my first experience wasn't very good because I 
parked in an underground parking thinking, oh, I'll plug in. There's a plug in. I'll go up and eat mm-hmm. lunch. And I'm up there eating lunch with some friends. I come down after two hours and the car's only charged up another like 7%. So uh-huh. I, I learned the lesson about the big power chargers, the fast chargers, and I'm like, oh, this doesn't work and, and so forth. So in your mind, when you you being an electric vehicle person yourself, what do you see has to happen, not only in California, but across the country? And is it even doable in the next, I mean, you talk about 2035, I don't know how the car makers in California are going to make any money. That's not very far away. It's not very far away. Yeah, no. yeah. So, what's what's your crystal ball look like, Russ? Because I'm real interested. Well, I try, I try, I try to avoid the crystal ball and and don't like to forecast because uh, uh, when I did that in the past, I'm often wrong, and I notice that most people that forecast <laughs> yeah. such things are, are 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 often wrong. Yep. If not always wrong. Yeah. Um, but I do. It's going to be an incredible challenge to uh, to get up to that uh, a goal, particularly. When you've got a public charging system that really doesn't work, charging the advocates of EVs say we need to get it to the point where it's just as easy as pumping gas. Well, the fact is it never will be. If you have a home charger and uh, which I do, and uh, you charge overnight, then it really is a lot more convenient. You don't have to stop at the gas station at all. But if you're on uh, if if you're on a road trip, you do, and um, they're hard to find. Often they often don't work. And it takes, uh, as, as you notice, depending on the, the uh, power of the charger and how well your electric vehicle can accept a certain level of uh, power, it's going to take you, you know, at least 30 minutes, if not uh, an hour or more to fully charge your car or, or get it up to 80%. So, uh, and I, I don't see that. It'll get faster over time. Uh, there's details you can get into about 400 volt and 800 volt, but I won't, I won't bore people with the details right now. It'll get faster, but it's it's not going to be as fast as, uh, as uh, pumping at the gas station. It's just not going to be. So, uh, we'll see, you know, what effect that has as the early adopters who have already bought their EVs move into the more mainstream and uh, how willing uh, people are uh, to put up with that. Uh, there are good reasons to put up with it, but we'll see, uh, you know, whether people do. Well, absolutely. Now, I, I did rent a Tesla again when I went to visit my grandchildren in Arizona. That experience was better because the hotel that I stayed at had they had three chargers. And Mm -hmm. I went, okay. So one night I went to park and they were all filled. And so the car had to sit. The next day I'm starting to get a little more nervous. Next night they're all filled. The third night there was one open. So I could park Mm -hmm. the car there and it it did charge overnight. And I kind of wiped my brow and went, okay, I'm okay. But still it's that, I call it the tether. (laughs) <laughs> that makes yeah. us makes us all a little bit nervous. So in some respects, it works. I've had a lot of battery and electric manufacturers on the show. And mm-hmm. obviously, one thing that they're working towards is a fast charge where you could actually charge a car in three to five minutes, a fully charge a car. But the technology is still not here. I don't no. know when it's going to be here. It could take a while. And all the, all the folks that have the current battery technology... Uh, may not work in their vehicles. So yeah, there's a lot of hurdles uh, to go over. So my guess is that mandates like 2035 will probably be pushed because mm-hmm. the manufacturers just, they can't get the technology going that fast. There's there's a lot to do here. So I guess we'll kind of see where it goes. What kind of, of electric car do you have, may I ask? Well, we have, we have uh, my family has two cars. Uh, the main car is a... Uh, 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 we have a Lexus hybrid SUV, mm-hmm. and uh, the other car is just a little BMW i3s, oh, yeah. which uh, is a wonderful little car, 
It only has a 120-mile range, but that's perfectly fine for around town and short trips, and we use that car more than the other car. So, uh, yeah, I would. Uh, when people ask me about whether they should buy an EV, I tell them that, you know, if it's your only car, I'd uh, definitely uh, think twice about it. Uh, if you're going to use it as a, an around town car and an occasional longer trip and are willing to put up with the public charging system for those longer trips, uh, I think it's almost a no brainer because uh, uh, they're, they're fun to drive and um, there's less maintenance. And if you have a home charger, you can keep it, you know, up to your, uh, your, your mileage level and, uh, and, and do fine. Yeah, I think it's very circumstantial. I know for my wife and I, we'd be perfect candidates because, again, we just don't drive that much. And so right. my uh, repair guy is calling me, Mark, how come I haven't seen you? And I go, I put like 800 miles on my car in the last 12 months. I just, wow. yeah, wow. and yeah. my wife's car, really not that much more. We just drive uh-huh. around locally here and a couple times sure. up to town, and that's about it. So we're great candidates for it. But, yeah, I think we've got some uh, some ways to go here. Well, let me let me say too. As long as you like your car, there's no reason to change. You're not really polluting very much uh, because you don't use it that much. Yeah. And if you if you anybody who buys a new EV uh, has to contend with the idea that their old EV or their old uh, gas car, uh, unless it's on its last legs, is going to be used by somebody else. So you've got those greenhouse gases plus the greenhouse gases that go into manufacturing that new car. So for most people. If they hung on to their existing gas car until it was ready for the junkyard would be a more greenhouse uh, gas friendly way to go than buying a new electric car. So since you're real deep in this, I have to you've touched on something I want to ask you about, and that is greenhouse gases and what it takes to drive cars, produce cars. One of the, the counters to electric vehicles is what it takes to produce those batteries. And right. have, so I, I have not investigated enough to know a lot about this. I'm hoping that you have. How does that relate? So when people argue, yeah, but look what it takes, how this has to be mined and so forth. Where's the power coming from to power the vehicles? Is it still coming from the same? source? Is it more? Have you done studies or done reports on how do you balance this out? Is there a balance to it? Yeah, I've I've uh, I've read a lot. There are a lot of reports out there, and I've I've read a, a whole bunch of them. Mm-hmm. If your utility is powered by coal, um, you're not going to do that much good uh, within electric car. In California, there's very little coal in the system. So um, it's a pretty uh, relatively clean way to go. But there's no such thing as a as, as totally clean energy. And uh, there's certainly no such thing as a totally clean uh, car. There's minerals that uh, need to be mined, uh, sometimes in uh, countries that uh, aren't uh, that, that really take advantage of uh, uh, super poor people uh, in miserable working conditions. There's, uh, you know, the mining t- uh, consumes greenhouse gases, the construction of the car consumes them. Uh, still, when when this the reports I've seen that when you compare. Um, if, if you're powering up with, with relatively clean ener- energy, even when you take all that into account, that electric car is going to be using a lot less or putting out a lot less greenhouse gases than a gasoline car will. Is there anything that you've learned about long-term efficiency? I shouldn't say efficiency. Let me put it this way. I, we tend to buy cars and our family new and keep them for a long time. Uh, my right. wife's car is 20 years old. My car yeah. is 19 years old. Yeah. I, I take impeccable care of my car. So if you looked at them, you'd never believe they're as old as they are. But that's right. just me. I'm kind of a nutcase when it comes to that. <laughs> but, good. One, but one of the things I've I've heard from other people is that if you bought an electric car, that there's no way, even with 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 the same mileage. Now, my, my car has 61,000 miles. My wife has 155,000. That a battery car would last that long because you'd have to replace battery packs, which... Ugh, 
expensive from what I've heard. So is yeah. have you learned in your writing and learning that there's anything to that notion? Because if I say bought a, a, a new EV tomorrow, would I still have the same car if I drove it 150,000 miles 20 years from now? Or would it would it last that long? Would the batteries last that long? The answer is that nobody knows. Uh, yet. Okay. <laughs> they, 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 the warranties, I can't remember whether it's eight years, 10 years, and a certain number of miles. And beyond that, nobody's sure. Uh, but the reports I've seen on this are that they're lasting a lot longer than people expected they would. Um, so, so that's a good thing, but really it's, it's, it's hard to say. There are problems. Uh, Tesla has a lot of problems with uh, batteries that need to be replaced due to uh, uh, manufacturing or design defects. But that's a totally different question. The, the car should last through. Certainly, the battery should last through the warranty period. And beyond that, everybody is kind of uh, taking their chances. Maybe they'll last a lot longer than people think. And uh, you'll still have that around in 20 years or maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. The, the big question. Well, and a lot of that, if you think about automobiles, we've been fortunate, but we we take real good care of our cars. We service them often. And mm -hmm. so, you know, the car in my wife's or the engine in my wife's car is one of those inline six BMWs uh, from 2004. And it's just my mechanic saying this car will go 350,000 miles before any right. major, you know, you'll have little things that break just from wear and tear, but, and could be the same for my M3. Maybe yeah. not as robust, but again, it's all about how you maintain the car. But you said it, these electric vehicles have a lot less stuff to work on, yeah. right? Yeah, True. a lot less True. moving parts and things. So, yeah, yeah, I guess we'll see. You know, this is all so new. It's uh, it's a learning curve, and uh, I always like to pull the politics out of it as much as you can and just look at the right. vehicle itself. I sure. like cars that are fun, and right. I will say that my experience with the Tesla, while I'm not really fond of the looks, that just looks boring to me. I like sports cars. Right. But boy, it, yeah. was fun. it was fun to drive. <laughs> they are fun to drive. Yeah. The quality the quality is not the greatest. The looks, uh, I agree, aren't that great, especially in the interior. But uh, they are a lot of fun to drive. I will Absolutely. say, while I was in California, I met a guy and he let me drive his Porsche Taycan. Uh -huh. Now, that was nice. <laughs> yes, yes. I've driven that myself. Yeah, although, uh, although those vehicles had some challenges and I've, I've been hearing things about uh, a lot of repair issues with those vehicles as, t as well. I think, you know, we're all in, we're kind of in a new world here with this right. stuff. So absolutely, everybody's trying to learn. And uh, that, that means that, uh, yeah, some of the horses are going to fall off the carriage, I guess is the way it yeah. goes. You know, I, I always like to talk a bit about both inspiration and challenges. And I'm wondering if you look at your career or you could apply this to what's happening in the, the EV market today, mm -hmm. what inspires you? Uh, what inspires me? I like to get at uh, the truth of things, and uh, I suppose that's why I went into uh, went into journalism. I see increasingly as time goes on, I'm seeing a lot more disinformation. There's always been marketing uh, that uh, you know, in many cases, uh, even if you account for the fact that they're trying to sell you something bleeds into the misleading politicians. Of course, uh, like to uh, hide the hide the truth. Uh, increasingly. Corporate executives are doing so. I think it's really important to uh, try to reveal the, the truth as best I can. So um, in terms of uh, how I came to that, uh, when, I, when I started in journalism, I didn't have a personal mentor as such, but there's a reporter named uh, Seymour Hirsch who uh, uh, uncovered the Malai massacre. People our age will remember that. Uncovered Abu Ghraib. And uh, he was not afraid of uh, going up against powerful people. He did a whole book about Henry Kissinger. He's just a dogged reporter. And uh, I took my uh, my inspiration from, from him. I appreciate what you're saying because, yeah, I feel like nothing can be trusted anymore. 
Yeah, and it's, it's harder and harder. It's really difficult how to uncover. I always say we all need to take a grain of salt with everything we read and do our own sure. investigation and learn a little bit more. But uh, it's refreshing to hear uh, that you're saying that. How about challenges? What do you think uh, are the, and you, you alluded to one there, maybe we stay on this topic. Uh, one of the biggest challenges these days is misinformation, especially in the media, is, as we've all started to go, what's real, what's not real? And you add in social media, which just convolutes everything. Right. As a challenge, how do we as consumers of journalism overcome that? Well, this is going to be a little bit self-serving and people might not agree with me, but I think that uh, trusted brands are really more important than ever. Where no publication is perfect, if you look at uh, publications like our own, the Los Angeles Times or the Washington Post, and for the most part, the New York Times or The Economist or Business Week, those are brands you can uh, trust to do their best to get at uh, the truth um, and, and not peddle in, in disinformation. However, it's becoming increasingly difficult to do that because of the economics. It's it's really uh, very expensive to uh, finance uh, good reporting. And uh, the economics have changed to the point where uh, philanthropy is uh, necessary at uh, a lot of places, including our own. The LA Times is owned by a, uh, a biotech billionaire who uh, was uh, kind enough to buy the publication and uh, let us do our job. Um, But that's becoming dicier all the time. So, you know, the challenges are immense. We're also facing artificial intelligence and the idea that even if you have a trusted brand, AI can go in and pull all the information from the trusted brands and then come out with uh, their own version and uh, basically take away the incentive for people to to subscribe to those uh, uh, trusted brands because they can get it for free. It's already, you know, happening. It's going to be worsened through uh, AI. So yeah, the challenges are. I'm, I'm kind of glad I'm uh, 69 and not 49 <laughs> or 39 or 29 in this field. <laughs> uh, you know, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, sometimes I go, I just don't know. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a challenging world for sure. So many challenges. Well, let's talk about more fun stuff. And I'd love to sure. sh- have you share a story about maybe a special vehicle that's been in your life. Yeah, the most special vehicle I bought a. Uh, an Audi TT the first year it came out. Ah. And um, that was in, uh, it was a 2020 model. And uh, just recently had to get rid of it, but I had it for 23 years. Oh, wow. And uh, I, I actually, it was uh, it was a rare, a rare car because uh, it didn't have a spoiler on the back. If people, people that pay attention to the old Audi TTs, yeah. most of them have a spoiler on the back. That's because in the United States, the uh, regulators made them put one on because it would get uh, kind of squirrely in the back at high speeds. Mm. Scott Keogh, who was running uh, Audi at the time, told me that there were only two or 300 of those sold in the United States. So, and uh, it, when I had to get, I had to get rid of it. I sold it to somebody that's going to turn it into a, uh, a track car. Uh, just take out all the uh, the insides and make it a track car. So it's going to, but uh, I, I took it down to uh, uh, Death Valley, maybe six months after uh, I, I purchased it. I went out in the morning. I, I went into a valley. The sun was coming up. I could look across this long valley with a uh, two-lane flat road the whole way. I could see that nobody else was on that highway, so it was only going to uh, <laughs> my, my own body. There you go. And I got it up as high as I dared, which was about 135. Ooh, that's and fast. I think, I think that's the fastest I've ever driven a car, including on a track. And um, uh, But at, at around 135, I, I – 
could have gone a little faster, but it did, in, in fact, start getting a little jumpy uh, in the back without that spoiler. So uh, yeah. I had it uh, turned down. But that was that was a fun car, a great car. It's a, a very nicely designed car. I love the uh, exterior design, the interior design. Drove like a dream. Really love that car. Yeah, Freeman Thomas designed that vehicle. I've got him actually scheduled this month to be a guest here. Oh, on the show. great. I've been trying to get him forever. He's he's awesome. now playing in the world with Myers Manx. He bought that brand from Bruce Meyer when he passed away. Oh, and, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, and he's creating uh, electric versions of the Myers Manx of the old dune buggy kind oh, of man. idea, as well huh. as ice engines. And so, yeah, you should check that out. Um, that car was so. I don't know if revolutionary is the right word, but from a design standpoint, it was sure different. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, I have I got to enjoy driving those cars um, when they first came out on a track. It was at a, uh-huh. an event. And the thing that I know, and I'm not a tall guy, but you have to be careful. I don't know. I was going to ask you this. Hitting your head getting in the car because of the way the roof yeah. line dramatic. Every yeah. time I got in that car, I hit my head. <laughs> Yeah, it took it took away the same for me. It took a while and then I got used to it. But when passengers got in, I always did the, you know, the the, the thing the police do is put my hand oh, on your top hand of on top of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Well, fun car for sure. So yeah, I got, yeah. got and that's interesting. I did not know about that. Uh the spoilers on the back. I yeah. will have to pay attention to some more. That was a twenty twenty model, did you say? Yeah. You know, the uh, you talked about the design. That was one of the very few concept cars that actually ended up in production looking almost right. exactly like the concept car. Yeah, yeah. They, I, I don't know how they pulled that off, but they yeah. did. And um, I did uh, rent an Audi recently. We're, we're kind of thinking maybe of replacing my wife's car sometime in the coming years here. Uh, and uh, one of the things I was looking at, some Audis. Um, uh-huh. always liked Audis, although way back in time when Audi wasn't so great, my parents bought a, you'll remember this, a 100 yeah. LS. Remember, yes. the, remember the Fox car and then the bigger? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that car was just horrible. I, yeah. It was the worst car on the planet. <laughs> the only thing worse than that car, my dad said, was the Pontiac Lemon, which was a Lama that he bought new <laughs> when I was a little kid. And I think that was built on a Friday during hunting season as well. I think it lasted six months and they had to take it back because it was just... It sounds like 1980s to me. Well, this was 70s. Uh, oh, way, okay. Yeah, the Pontiac Lama. Uh, you remember the Tempest? which oh, was yeah. a vehicle they were going to get, and then they didn't have the car, so they got uh-huh. Le Mans. Yeah, Le Mans sounds pretty cool, huh? But uh, yeah, yeah it kind of rhymes, rhymes with lemons. But, uh, yeah. but Audi's come a long way. They're much, much better yeah. now. So. so I'm a bit of a car psychologist, Russ. I'm going to crawl uh-huh. in your head here. If you were reincarnated as a vehicle, now again, this isn't what you want to be. This is how you perceive right. the, the man in the mirror. And since you're a writer, I expect some uniqueness here from you. What would, uh, you, what uh, would uh, you be and why? Well, I'm going to answer it in two parts. First, okay. I'm going to uh, I'm going to uh, violate your uh, instruction and talk about the car. Okay. Uh, I would want to be, and that's any kind of uh, high end Porsche, whether it's a 911 or even a Panamera or a Macan yeah. or a, a Taycan, um, something that's that's fast that holds the road. That's a great fun to drive. Uh, I'd like to think that that's me. But in fact, uh, I think a better illustration might be uh, 1970s clapped out Buick with a uh, super <laughs> V8 hot rod engine because I'm still quick. I'm still fast. But how I get there is uh, is a little questionable sometimes. <laughs> I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> that's pretty funny. <laughs> I love it. Well, I'll tell you, I am a Porsche fanatic. Everyone listening to the show regularly knows that. So yeah. I, I, you had a big smile on my face with the Porsche and, and the 
Yeah. The concept well, that M3, there. That M3 is a great car too. I love that. You know, I've had four M3s and they are just incredible. I actually yeah. sold, I had a 993 Porsche C4S. It was my daily driver. And I actually sold it, kind of cringe every time I think about this, to buy the new E46 M3 when it came out because Porsche was just not a very fun commuter car because I was in traffic all the time. Uh-huh. And it just didn't even yeah. have a cup holder. And it was just, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I love Porsches. I, yeah. I had a wonderful um, 87 Turbo up until a year ago last summer. I finally oh, sold man. it. Yeah, I've had the car for 14 years. My Orange Crush, I called it. Very rare car. Wonderful. In yeah. colorways. But uh, I'm going to have another 911 in the garage here soon, I believe. So, cool. uh, yeah, we'll go back to that. That, you, that you're going to drive uh, 800 miles a year? Uh, you know, <laughs> geez, you had to say that, Rusty. And you <laughs> thanks a lot, pal. <laughs> well, I know. 800 miles, that's for sure. Well, I, yeah. We could get into my idiosyncrasies, but that would be boring. Um, How about great reading? Since you're a journalist or writer, is there a great book you could share with our listeners today? Boy, there are so many. Yes. Um, And uh, because uh, I decided not to do anything about cars, because probably uh, you've had plenty of people suggest (laughs) those. Just a few. (laughs) Um, There's a recent book. I mentioned Seymour Hersh because I'm a journalist. And if people are interested in journalism and how it works and what a great journalist looks like, uh, Seymour Hersh wrote a book called Reporter, which is uh, uh, wonderfully written. It talks about uh, he goes through his whole life, but he has had a very colorful life and talks about his techniques. If you really want to learn about how great reporting is done in a very entertaining way, that's a book to do it. And then a book that uh, I recommend to people, and this is getting into you know, a side of me that uh, we haven't talked about yet, but there's a book called uh, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind by uh, uh, Suzuki uh, Roshi, a Japanese uh, Zen master who came to the U.S. and set up the Zen Center of San Francisco. And uh, it's a wonderful uh, introduction to uh, living in the moment and uh, the power of uh, living in, in, in the now and in the present. Oh. And uh, I think it's a, it's just a wonderful, wonderful book. Anybody's interested in spiritual matters that don't get too religious. I will get my hands on that. I'm very interested in that. Sounds wonderful. And I'll tell you something, both these books have never been recommended, which is pretty amazing, <laughs> Russ, because there's a place on my website called Guest Recommended Books where there's over 3,000. Oh, I didn't know that. I'll look for that. Yeah, yeah. there's over 3,000 books listed there uh, with wow. quick links to buy by my uh-huh. past inspiring automotive enthusiasts. So you brought two new books to the show. So nice. I appreciate that. Very sure. good. So I am an enabler as well, and uh-huh. I want you to go on the ultimate drive. So here's the deal. Money's no object. I'm going to park any car in your driveway. You can take it on a drive anywhere in the world. And here's the key, because it's really about the people. You can take anybody with you, including somebody from the past is no longer with us. So that could be a pretty interesting list of potential co-pilots. So what does the ultimate drive look like for a guy like you? There there are all kinds of... uh, Again, your guests probably have talked, and I've heard some talk about... uh, you know, car people from the past. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm going to say it would be, I've driven a lot of great cars, so, um, I'm not lusting for any particular car because I'm uh, fortunate enough to be able to get my hands on cars and test them out. But, uh, this would be a Cadillac and, uh, I'll explain why the driver would be Bob Dylan. Oh my gosh. And, uh, He's got he's got a song where he, he's done Cadillac commercials and on his latest uh, studio album he's got a, a song where he mentions his uh, his Cadillac. I would just love to spend some time with him. Uh, it might go miserably because he's not he's supposed to be not exactly the most uh, personable guy. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe not. But 
uh, just uh, yesterday, 50 years ago, I attended in the fourth row uh, the Bob Dylan Band concert, the first on the tour. This was after his motorcycle accident. He hadn't toured for years. And uh, I was 19 years old. Wow. And a, uh, a kind of, I, I could, you know, I had my jerky side. I had a, a, I had a, 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 a little bottle of whiskey in my back uh, pocket with a blue jean jacket. <laughs> and Dylan didn't say anything to anybody. And uh, I yelled out at him, uh, you could at least say hello, you rude son of a bitch, which <laughs> I kind of regret. Yeah. And uh, he just held his hands like, whoa, dude. But I, but in Rolling Stone, which covered this uh, this tour, every city he went to subsequently, he would say, sure is great to be in Detroit. Sure is great to be in Philadelphia. Uh, he so listened to you, Russ. <laughs> yeah, but uh, on this drive, I would uh, want to apologize to him for doing that because it was a, it was a well, jerk thing Well, you to know, do. we all do things <laughs> that we regret in the past. But it's true. It's so true. funny you mentioned him because uh, this morning I was up quite early and uh, I was listening to some of the, his newer songs in the background uh-huh. while I was doing some work. So, uh, yeah, and I actually I found out just a week ago, I never knew this, that my son went to a Bob Dylan concert. Now, oh, my, yeah. my son's only uh, 30 years old. Uh-huh. So um, I went. Did what? he enjoy himself? He, he, well, he said he did, although he yeah. said, I have no idea what he said the whole time, uh, because the way he sings is... His voice is, his voice has become really... I mean, his voice is weird all along. Always, it's, always been it's a challenge. Awful. Yeah. But he always has a great band. He always yeah. has a great band. Yeah. No, he said he enjoyed it. <laughs> so. And the other, the other person I would uh, want to... Uh, he's dead now, very recently, uh, but Jeff Beck, the great guitar oh, player, gosh, Jeff Beck, yeah. who had a whole... I mean, he had so many great cars. If I if it was going to be a trip where we seriously talked about cars, I would want to uh, you know have Jeff pick out a car or two or three and drive me around and talk about you know all his uh, his hot rodding and what he likes about the cars. That's probably actually the uh, the way I'd go. That would be my real fantasy. Ah, one of the best guitarists ever. Yeah, very very cool. Well, you're taking us on a fun ride today, Russ. I'm so glad that we connected and got together. I think we could talk Same. for hours and hours about electric vehicles, the future, and a whole lot of things, but. Before you go, could you share some parting words of wisdom or inspiration as we enter into this new year? Yeah. Uh, uh, you, you had prompted me to uh, have something ready, so I so I do. Perfect. And by the way, uh, I'm happy to come on any time. So. Okay. This is this is back to the Zen thing. This is a uh, a poem written by an, an author named uh, Jim Harrison, and it goes like this: Not here and now, but now and here. If you don't know the difference, is a matter of life and death. Get down naked on bare knees in the snow and study the ticking of your watch. That's it. And I, uh, (laughs) the idea of now and here as opposed to here and now, that actually, when I started paying attention to that uh, and being, that that was more, it makes people, it makes me more present than here and now because here is a place, but now is now. And uh, you have to live in the now. Of course, you have to plan for the future, but. uh, living in the now means planning for the future without getting lost in all kinds of reveries and worries and thoughts about the past and fears of the future, but really looking around, touching things, smelling things, looking at things and living in the now. So that 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 poem is my inspiration. Very nice. A nice way to go into the new year and think about life. I like that. Very cool. That's another uh, first here. So thank you for that. You bet. Russ, how can people learn more about you and follow you? Um, I've got a, a, a website with older stories that... Uh, uh, Russ, uh, RussMitchell.com. 
but uh, better to go to the uh, L.A. Times and just type in my name in a uh, a page with my stories of the last uh, 10 years will uh, will pop up and you could uh, follow me that way. I'm also on. Well, I'm not so much on Twitter anymore, but uh, when I do go on Twitter now, it's at uh, Russ one numeral one Mitchell. Okay. Uh, on Twitter or X. Yep. And I've also migrated to threads. I'm I'm on that a little bit in LinkedIn too. All right. I'll put links to those on Russ's show notes page so you can follow along with him and reach out to him. I want to do a shout out. Thank you to our mutual friend, Doug Stokes, who put me together with Russ today. Doug has brought so many wonderful people to the show. Doug. He's so great. He's a great guy. Yeah, <laughs> He's a super. He's introduced me to some amazing people just like you. So Russ, thank you for spending time today, being so generous with your time, sharing your experience experiences until you and I talk again. Happy New Year, my friend. Same to you. I enjoyed it. I'll see you down the road. Sounds great. Take care. If you're listening to this program, there's a pretty good chance you believe what I believe, that the collector vehicles we love are more than just a means of getting from one place to the other. They're a part of our culture, our identity, and as a people, they bring us together at vintage races, classic car auctions, and thousand mile rallies. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these important vehicles aren't lost to time. RPM stands for Restoration, Preservation, and Mentorship. And their goal is to inspire the next generation of vehicle restoration professionals through its outreach programs. And they include Shop Hop, Off to the Races, the RPM Future Class, and many others. These programs engage talented young people across the country and connect them with mentors and a variety of opportunities in the industry. For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of collector vehicles skill trade, visit rpm.foundation today. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to carsyeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah! Yeah!